Yeah, Ian, we only do that for the high-need staff. The, you know. Good morning, church. Great to see you, Eagle. Wonderful to be back. What a joy. I realize that for some of you, it's like, Pastor Simpson's not back yet? <laughs> we got another guest speaker? What's Next Sunday, Pastor Eric is back, and he, I had a two-mile walk around the neighborhood with him uh, on Friday night, and he's very excited about what God's done in his life, and he's very excited to be back as, uh, in his role here in this congregation. So, yeah, one more week, hang in there with, uh, with, with another guest speaker, but it's good to see you today. You are part of a bigger family, 2,000 Alliance churches, Christian and Missionary Alliance churches. Uh, Christian, we're all about Jesus, missionary. He sends us on a mission. Alliance, we get to do it together. Jesus-focused people were on mission doing it together, as you just saw there from Chicago and all over 2,000 churches around the United States that you're teamed with and 22,000 worldwide. And uh, we gather here today in, in his name to give him glory. And yes, uh, Pastor Simpson, before he left on um, you don't call him that, do you, <laughs> Just Eric? Uh, after, before he left on sabbatical, he, he called and said, John, I want you to come and share your story with us of, of what God's done in your life. And so uh, I want to ground that story. I want to center it in Psalm 74. So if you've got a Bible today, that's where I'm going to start from. Imagine if uh, Ian or somebody in the worship team said, well, here's my call to worship today. And by the way, that was a great call to worship, Ian. Thank you for that sensitive response to yesterday's ugliness. Imagine if he opened the service with this call to worship. Why have you rejected us forever, O God? <laughs> That's Psalm 74.1. You know they sang these things, right? The Psalms, they sang these things. And... And it is a call to worship because honesty coming from right where we are and as Ian did today, the pain of the current moment, the reality of the current moment, that is a call to us to come before the God who is bigger than the current mess of planet Earth. But this psalmist is doing, you know how songwriters or poets can do us a favor by capturing a moment in, and helping us preserve it so it's not lost Something tragic has happened in his country. And I'm not going to read the next verses. Let me just tell you the story. An army has come in with axes and hatchets and torches and has destroyed the gorgeous temple in Jerusalem, this beautiful center of worship in Jerusalem that was ornate and 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 filled with expensive items and just this wonderful place dedicated to God, built by Solomon, has been destroyed by this army that has come in, stolen everything of value, then lit a torch to what was left, burned it down, and according to some scholars, that the way that you really showed that you conquered was have your army gather around and the whole ruins and urinate on top of it when it's done horrible moment in Jerusalem's history and this songwriter has captured this moment for the, his people and then they sang it. They actually sang their pain. And he lands in, or he gets to verse 9 which reads, we're given no miraculous signs, no prophets are left, and none of us knows how long this will be. God, we can't find you. God, where are you? Have you ever prayed a prayer like this? God, I, I just, I, why aren't you doing anything? And that, in fact, and when we're having a hard time, don't we tend to ask two questions? What question do you most likely ask when some negative circumstances enter into your life? Indiana, what do you ask? Why? <laughs> exactly. And the next question is often, how long is it going to last? <laughs> Can I just get out of this thing quickly? Well, that's exactly what this songwriter does. How long will the enemy mock you, O God? Verse 10, verse 11. Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the folds of your garment and destroy them. God, would you get your hands out of your pockets and do something, please? <laughs> 
This is an honest man's heart cry after a tragic, horrible moment has taken place in their history. Now, sometimes we read the Bible too fast. You're clicking along with what's going on, and you miss the fact that there's a transition, that there is a change in key from the music team, and that's what happens in verse 12. But, but you, O God, are my king from of old. I can't find you. I don't like what's going on. The headlines are horrible. This is really disturbing me, all the things that are taking place in our country. But this much I know. I have a God, and he's king. Kind of puts the brakes on the woe is me and brings to some perspective on what's going on. Um, have, have you been to a high school or college graduation ceremony in the last 20 years or so? Anybody? Okay, most of the room has. All right. I'm... I, think that the same speech has been going all across the United States for the last 20 years. I can give it to you in 20 seconds. See if you recognize it. See if this speech has hit Indiana. Okay? You ready? Here's how it goes. Students, you have an unlimited reservoir of human potential within you to accomplish any dream, to overcome any obstacle. All you have to do is believe in yourself and you can accomplish anything in this world. Go students. Well, I gather from your response that that one's hit Indiana as well. Well, how's it working? How is that human potential speech working? Maybe at 18 or in your 20s graduating from college, you think you have some unlimited reservoir of human potential. But sometime in your 30s, you're going to wake up tired. And you're going to think, oh, great. If all I have is what I find in here, I'm in trouble. And I want to announce to America, yes, officially you are in trouble if all you have is what you find in yourself. You're in trouble in this life and the life to come if all you have is what you find in yourself. But those of us who are followers of Jesus have a completely different message, don't we? To overcome some obstacle, to accomplish some dream, we don't just have to squeeze a little more some human potential out of our weary souls. No, 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 no. We have given the allegiance of our life to someone else. We have a king. We have a master. We have a savior. Now, uh, I was five years ago, I was living in Wisconsin. My wife and I were kind of regrouping, and uh, I'll tell you why we need to regroup. Bought a little home and started to get to know our neighbor who had the gorgeous garden. You know, isn't it awful living in the person who's got the gorgeous garden? And then, you know, everything you do looks awful, you know. But, but um, anyway, I was getting to know the, the neighbors and the wonderful people. Months into it, I finally brought up the word faith. <laughs> I, started, I mentioned Jesus and this wonderful neighbor went scampering back into her house and didn't come out for three days. <laughs> we could talk about anything. Just, oh, I just crossed the line. And in the Midwest, sometimes it's just like that's an uncrossable line. But I knew that if, if I had something to give to her, that she would read it. And so I went back into my house and started writing this little tiny book that takes 15 minutes to read. And... I didn't have the peace to publish it for five years. So it's just come out, and uh, through a, the new person who lives in the house, uh, they, they have actually been able to give her a copy of the book. But my point is at this moment that, that in it I, I, I write that this, the, those of us who've come to Jesus admit that we're weak, too weak to get to heaven on our own, too weak to live the kind of life we want to live, too weak to be the person we really want to be. Yes, we, we admit that we are weak. And that's a wonderful thing to be able to come to say, I need help. I need help beyond myself. I need someone to enter into my life to change me from the inside out. 
And so those of us who are followers of Jesus have come to that point where we've admitted human potential is not enough. I'm squeezing more energy out of my weary soul is just a rotten way to live. And that I've come to a source. I've come to the king. I have given the allegiance of my life to a king. And so we're back here in Psalm 74. And he's saying, this is awful. Temple's destroyed. I don't like what's going on. But this much I know. I have a God and he is king. And then he tells us what his king is like. And if you're still with me in Psalm 74, you get down to verse 15, and he says, this is what my king is like. It was you who opened up springs and streams. What is that a picture of, opening up springs and streams? Well, we're in a desert region as we're reading this psalm. That was the context. And wherever water flowed, though, life, there would be a life and abundance and food and prosperity. This is a picture of abundance. It's you who opens up springs and streams. It's you. You are God. You are a God of abundance. Americans like that message, right? <laughs> we like the God of abundance message. Next phrase. You dried up the ever-flowing rivers. What's that a picture of? Drought, right? So which is it? Are you the God of abundance or are you the God of drought? Verse 16, the day is yours and yours also the night. You established the sun and moon. It was you who set all the boundaries of the earth. You made both summer and, Indiana, winter. Do you see what this songwriter is doing? He's saying, here's who my God is. My God is the God of abundance, of daytime, of summer. My God is the God uh, who, who provides. But you know what? If your God is only big enough for your best days, you don't have a very big God. That the God, that my God, my king, is also God of drought and night and moon and winter. He's both. He's big enough for both. He's not just big enough for your easiest day. He's big enough for your hardest day. He's not just big enough for your best news. He's big enough for your hardest news. This is who my God is. I have a God who is king even when the temple has just been destroyed, even when the worst day of our history as a city. My God's still king. Amen? Is your God that big? Big enough for your worst day, not just your best. That leads me to tell you a story. Uh, my lovely wife uh, was not able to be with me this weekend. You'd like me a lot better if you met my wife. But um, Joanne and I were pastor and wife at a sister congregation to Eagle over in Salem, Oregon, Salem Alliance Church. Raising our three wonderful kids, Andrew, Anna, and Josiah. I absolutely love being parents of these fabulous kids. It was my daughter's fault to get me involved in long-distance running. I was never a runner. No ball, no run. That was the rule. Anybody with me on that? Why would you run without a ball? I mean, and, and besides, little shorts, colorful shoes. What's with that? You know, so... I, I, I always made fun of runners, but she wanted to run, and I wanted to be with my daughter, so it was worth buying a pair of shoes and going out and hitting the trail, and I got hooked to it. I started running ultra marathons. Those are races for guys too stupid to stop at 26 miles. So I just kept running 50K, 60K up and down the mountains of Oregon, absolutely loving it. Speaking of mountains, not my best day on Mount Hood. You know the goal of mountain climbing is not to get to the top. The goal of mountain climbing is get back to your car alive. <laughs> <laughs> just about didn't do it that day anyway fishing has always been a great love I prefer the lakes of northern Minnesota but this is a pretty good day on the Columbia River so I show you those pictures not to do a Facebook page okay that's really not what I'm doing I'm really just trying to establish a fact that as the at the age 47 I was a healthy guy had never spent a day in the hospital. My mother lived to be 96, had great genetics, had no concern. When I had a little rash on my body one day, I blamed my wife. Sorry, honey. Thought she changed the laundry detergent. She, she hadn't. And so I no big deal. I got this little rash. But by the end of the week, I was too weak to drive a car. 
something was attacking my muscular system very rapidly. Didn't know why. Started to go to the doctor, run some tests, started to ask some people to pray for me, which they did. And it just got more confusing from there. I, one of my last conscious thoughts was in a hospital bed with a doctor looking at me with my chart in his hand. And he said, I've never seen somebody with blood levels so messed up and still be alive. And I'm laying there thinking, see, I'm strong, I'm healthy. This is just a you know, little fluke, you know, no big deal. And five days later, I woke up with uh, my first thought was Minnesota, Montana. Oh, boy, they've come from all over the United States to see me. I must really be sick. Uh, unknown to me, uh, the family had gathered because uh, your husband or your dad or your brother is, is dying. And so I would spend... Uh, for a long time uh, in the hospital and ICU as they ran all sorts of tests, had me hooked up to various forms of equipment to keep me alive. My systems were all setting down. I was septic, and uh, they couldn't figure it out. Five times, Joanna was rushed back into the room that if you're going to say your last goodbye, you better get here right now because he's not responding. And uh, that was... Let me just say this. It's a sweet thing to be on your deathbed and for death to be the least of your worries. Uh, they made it very clear. You're, 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 you're in trouble. You, know. you, you're, you might not make it out of this. And I had such a deep peace about it. I, I don't want to over-spiritualize this. I'm just saying, we, we just talked about it. I've got a savior. I've got a king. I've got a master. He's already conquered death. He's already figured his way in and out of the grave. You know, he just rented the thing for three days, and he didn't need it anymore and moved on, you know. And, and so my, my the, uh, there was a deep peace about death. Living, however, had some uh, complications, uh, uh, including the fact that they were throwing all sorts of medications at me and not realizing that uh, I was seeing tap dancers on the wall, which were pretty cool, but the fish swimming in the curtains were really concerning. <clears throat> Black fish about this big swimming in the privacy curtains. Privacy curtain, what an oxymoron. Anyway, um, fish, black fish were swimming in the curtains. They're about this big. If one of them bit you, it was no big deal. But if two of them bit you at the same time, it was like an electric current going through your body and you died. And I really didn't mind dying, but I thought dying by fish bite was a really weak way to go. But their weakness was that if you squeezed them, they would pop. And, and I wanted my six foot one, 200 pounds son to come visit me because I knew that he'd be a great fish popper. After about five days of that, Joanna said to the doctor, he's talking really strange. <laughs> and threw more medications at me. I, was, I entered the hospital weighing 190 pounds. That's what you see right now. I was released 77 days later at 140 pounds. I lost 50 pounds of muscle mass all the way from forehead to toe. Every aspect of my body was uh, impacted by this mysterious attack upon my muscles. I asked the doctors, did my long distance running have something to do with this? They said, point blank, definitely not. But your strong heart, because of your long distance running, kept you alive because without a strong heart, you would never survive all that your body was going through. But I was dismissed at the end of all that from the top research hospital in Oregon with the statement, you stumped us all. It was their way of saying, we ran every test we got in this building. We got no idea what you got, but you're no longer dying, so go home. <laughs> I was grateful for their honesty, right? You, you really don't want a doctor who's making things up. Blessed are the doctors who tell the truth, right? And I don't feel like you got to, you know, kind of pretend that you know more than you know. No, no, just thank you for just, just telling us what you know and telling us what you don't know. And that really, uh, that's a great gift. So, and, and besides, I kind of thought it was funny. You know, the, the, the best researchers in the world don't know, or at least in our region, don't know what's going on. But I have a king. I have a God. He, he knows. So I was released in the hospital into the care of my wife, who became my caregiver. And um, I'm hoping that a slide will come back. Um, that, that's coming. I have faith. Right? 
I was released into the care of my wife who became my caregiver. 140 pounds, I'm in a wheelchair. I can't take care of myself in any room of the house. Profound muscle weakness. And um, let me say to somebody here, blessed are the caregivers. For in you we have seen the Christ. Some of you have given up hours or months or years of your life to give somebody else a better quality of life than they would have had on their own. Blessed are you. Thank you. So uh, Joanna started uh, to care for me. I, are, are we, what's the prediction back there? Right. Have faith. What's that? So what do we do about that? Wake up. <laughs> do we know what we do about that? Trust into the rescue. All right. Oh, we already got the disclaimers going. <laughs> Let me keep telling the story and while they work on that. They put me into physical therapy. They gave me a one-pound dumbbell. It looked like a dog biscuit. It's like, oh, great, you know. It used to bench over 200 pounds with my son. Now I got a dog biscuit in my hand. It was a workout, believe me. And, but you know who physical therapists are, right? They're, they're caregivers trained by the Navy SEALs. <laughs> physical terrorists. I mean, they're just... They're, uh, I love them, though. What a wonderful profession. People who've dedicated their life to helping you have a better quality of life than you would have had on your own. And uh, so the therapist started working with me. And I need to say to somebody in the room, you have a part in your own healing journey. You with me? You have a part in your own healing journey. See, some of us want somebody else to do everything for us. Or some of us want God to do everything for us. But you have a part in your own healing journey. Wow, do I have a beautiful family. It's not my family, but <laughs> wow. Cool. Go, go. I love this church. This is a fun church. Steve, I might go five minutes over, okay? But uh, are you all right with that? Okay, all right. Well, this. <laughs> Ian, is that your? No, no, that's Justin's family. Justin's family. All right, good. Way to go. So I'm home. I'm in physical therapy. I have to resign from my role at the church. I'm too weak to lead. And all right, they rescue. There, there's my dog biscuit. Okay, great. And um, there's the, there's my, maybe. There's my wife, the caregiver, uh, caring for me. And I lost the ability to swallow. Part of your muscular system in its intricate areas, dozens of nerves and muscles have to work in perfect synchronization for you to get the saliva that's in your mouth to the back of your throat for the epiglottis to go down, for the esophagus to open. When a Mayo Clinic doctor explained the swallow function to me, it was a worship moment. I don't even think that she's a believer in Christ, but, but the design of the master creator, there is so much complexity in about one square, one cubic inch of your body right here. It is fascinating all that needs to take place for you to walk, for you to talk, swallow, and breathe all at the same time. It's just a stunning work of a master designer, and mine had completely ceased to function. There was no nerve firing, no muscle movement at all in my swallow. So to keep me alive, they had to punch a hole in my stomach, put in a tube, and give me seven cans a day. Of, of two words which should never be put together, medical food. <laughs> which is it? Is it medicine or is it food? Don't tell me it's both. Uh, I, I was so afflicted by this dysphagia, the word for inability to swallow, that I had to spit in the towels and cups and and Walmart parking lots and whatever. I, I, it was embarrassing. I hated it, but I hadn't lived spinning because you continue to generate saliva and have to do something with your saliva. Joanna would rip out 15 pieces of paper towel, put it next to my pillow each night so I'd have something to spit my saliva in into the night. 
That was 2009, the entire year of 2009. Not a single bite of food, not a single drop of water. And at first, I was going to beat this thing. I was just going to power my way through it. Pray our way through it. Believe our way through it. We were just going to, we were going to do this thing, you know. But as the months wore on, our spirits started to wear down. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You kind of get to the how long question of the passage. A friend would try to encourage me. He'd call me up on the phone and say, John, you were run over by a truck. You were just going along doing your thing, and wham, you were nailed. And he, and he was trying to cheer me up, and it was good to know that he saw how significant my situation was, but it created a metaphor in my mind. You know what I mean by metaphors? A word picture that you get that you interpret life by. Uh, I'm just a hamster on a wheel. I got so many plates spinning. I got so many balls in the air. We, we use these kind of things all the time, right? Well, my metaphor became roadkill. Isn't that what you call things run over by trucks in Indiana? Roadkill, raccoon. And sometimes our metaphors feel accurate but are very unhelpful. <laughs> and so I prayed, God, I need a different picture. What, what's gone on in my life? I need, what would you? Can we agree together that he's the God who answers old prayers? Not just the prayers you prayed in the last 10 minutes? You know what I'm talking about here? You've asked the elders, you asked somebody to come and pray for you, and something's going on in your life or marriage or body or something, and then they pray for you, and you don't feel any different at the moment, and you walk away, and you're tempted to say what? Well, that didn't work. You give your milk two weeks. Why do you give your prayers 10 minutes? Well, I did the same thing. I had the tendency to think, oh, God, you're not hearing me, or I'm not breaking through or whatever. So even with that prayer, I laid a different metaphor. He didn't. He didn't answer that prayer right away. The months wore on. I tried to stay in the Bible almost every day, but I have to confess to you something you've never heard a pastor say, that this started to feel like sandpaper to my soul. Irritating, abrasive, all these promises. And you know, going to church was the hardest thing for us in 2009. All these happy people singing happy songs, asking happy questions. How are you doing? Worse than last week. How about you? You know what I mean? And this, we, we, were, we were in a, a true struggle, sequestered in the living room of my house day after day. I'm used to traveling and speaking and running and fishing and hiking, and now I'm in a wheelchair, and Joanna is exceedingly gracious, caring for me, and we're just trying to figure out life. The church that I was pastoring asked if I would come back and try to preach uh, for a few moments. You won't see in the video you're about to watch, you won't see the walker that I'm standing behind that's hidden from view. I always hide the feeding tube under my shirt. That's embarrassing to me, and so I keep that hidden. You will see a spit rag come out of my pocket so I have something to put my saliva in. But what I really want you to see is not so much uh, the physical stuff, but one man's wrestling with faith in the middle of a very difficult season. Uh, this video lasts about two minutes. Watch this. I don't really like the journey I'm on. I want you to know God is in it and God is good. God is in this journey and God can only be good. He is to me forever friends. Some of you don't like the journey you're on either right now. You're in a, you're in a, tough, a tough spot. Economically, hard time. Physic, physically, bad news. Relationally, tough situation. Emotionally struggling. Please know that he, according to Psalm 139, according to Psalm 139, he is the God of the light and the darkness. 
too much. Too much American theology is of the God of the light only. But the scripture is clear that he's the God of the day and the night, the light and the dark. The victory and the battle, the battle. Job didn't like his situation. Jeremiah didn't like his life circumstances. Jesus didn't like being in the garden. I don't like my situation, but God is in it and God is good. If you understood any of that, congratulations. <laughs> it's very possible that some of you don't like the situation you're in right now either. You don't like the storyline of your life right now. I'm not quite sure what took place in the entryway, but they're being cared for well, and let me just stop and pray for a moment. Father, um, fascinating what can take place in a room at, at any given moment and I pray that your peace would be in this place and that we set aside this room for purposes of God alone we dedicate this room for your glory and thank you that uh, whatever need is uh, happening at this moment that you are bringing your people around to attend to it and so bring peace, we pray. And would you give us the capacity to uh, actually receive all that you have for us? In Jesus' name, amen. So 2009, not a bite of food, not a drop of water, and uh, we're starting to wear down. Four times the doctors ran those tests to verify that my swallow was completely non-functioning. Two of those tests were from an ear, nose, throat doctor. Have you been to one of those guys? Uh, they have this nifty little, uh, is everything good? Okay, thank you, uh, Elder Steve. Everything's okay in the back. Appreciate that. Um, two times he ran a, he's got this nifty little, uh, the ear, nose, throat doctor has got this nifty little flexible hose with a camera and a light on the end of it that he's happy to run up your nose if you'll let him. Okay. I flinched a little bit when he brought it toward me and he said, oh, I do this to five-year-olds. You'll be fine. That's doctor speak for man up, buddy. He ran the hose up the nose, gave me a guided tour of places I never wanted to see. I'm watching it all on a TV monitor. He gets the back of the throat, and he groans. And he says, oh, what you have is inoperable in both senses of the word. There's no operation that can fix it, and it's completely non-operating. At least you could have had injury or cancer, he said. I could have fixed those things, but what you have is non-operating, non non-operable. So, um, no hope, no hope uh, for any return of the swallow, and I would have dreams in the night of food. Oh, I dreamt of food. The pizza was hot. It was fresh. It was on a roof for some reason. I have no idea why. But I had a ladder, and I was climbing that ladder to get that pizza off the roof, but my ladder was too short, and I couldn't reach a pizza. There was a buffet. Oh, it was a good-looking buffet. I was about ready to get to the buffet when 2,000 of you folks rushed in front of me, took everything off that entire table, and there was no food left by the time I got there. Night after night, I was having dreams of food. Even the birds outside my window were eating. To be alive is to eat. And all I do is pour medical food, breakfast, 
lunch, dinner, drink of water. I hated it. I hated it. Then God answered a prayer. See, sometimes before he touches our situation, he wants to speak into our story. Before he deals with the circumstance, he wants to address something within us. It was obvious he was rebuilding our marriage. That was re real clear. And then what he was doing as Joanna became my caregiver. But he also gave me a picture. It only lasted for a second. But you remember the roadkill metaphor that I had? Months later, he answered that prayer, and he gave me a picture. It only lasted for about a second. I didn't see it with my eyes. I saw it in my mind, but it was very clear. There were hands that were working a clay pot that was going around on a wheel. It looked like a fine pot to me. I didn't see anything wrong with the pot. And I was actually a little upset that the Lord was giving me a metaphor that he'd used before, like in the Bible. It's like, this is an old one. Give me a new one. It's like, oh, you're so arrogant, stumble, man. Anyway, all of a sudden, the picture changed. And the hands took that clay on that pot and pushed it back down to the base. He didn't pick up the clay and throw it away. No, the wheel was still spinning. The clay was still on the wheel. The potter's hands were still damp. He was still working that piece of clay. But that artist was doing a do-over on that piece of art. God, is that my story? Yes. But I like the old pot. <laughs> I like the running, preaching, eating John. I don't like the sitting, spitting, silent John. But God, if your hands are still in my life, I had a two-word answer. I'm in. I'm in. Rather than fighting this thing, being angry about this thing, being upset with this thing, I started to have a perspective that a bigger story was being written. And I want to say that to you today. A bigger story is being written in your life than just the current chapter title. Okay? You don't have to like your current chapter. But don't believe that it's your last chapter. Don't buy the lie that you're stuck here. You're damned. You're doomed. It'll never change. It'll never get any different. It'll always be this way. Those are lies from Satan who is trying to cloud us into this bubble of discouragement and isolate us. And here I need to say this. I told you going to church was the hardest thing for us in 2009. Every week, Joanna would grab the wheelchair, get me into the wheelchair, get me to the van, get me out of the wheelchair, into the van. We did it. Why? Because we started to realize that when you need people the most, you want to be with them the least. So don't give in to the emotional withdrawal withdrawal to just isolate. That's Satan's strategy to pick you off, to isolate you. If you're having a difficult time, keep answering your phone, keep leaning into community, keep showing up at church, keep going to your small group, stay in. Because here's the simple thing that happens. Sometimes our faith, and I'm telling you that this time, our faith was down to a tiny thread. There was hardly enough to hang on to, but somebody around us was believing for us, and it's legal to hang on to somebody else's faith for a while when your faith has hardly had enough to hold on to. And guess what happens? If you stay in community or you find strength from somebody else's faith, in time, you're going to be the one whose faith is stout and strong again, and then you'll be available to them that they can hang on to your faith for a while. This is called the body of Christ. We do this together. All the you, almost all the Y-O-U-U's of the New Testament are plural. Good old southern y'alls, okay? It's not meant to be you singular on your own do the Christian life. No, 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 no. It's said to be you do the Christian life, y'all, together. So, God was giving us a different picture of uh, there was purpose in this. We were finding some strength from, from some community and from each other. But there was no hope uh, for, the, for, the, for the swallow. It would, in God's kindness uh, and with help of some uh, treatment that they just kind of threw at me by experiment, it's a spinoff of plasma, uh, I was able to regain enough muscular strength. Didn't gain a pound. I was still 140 pounds. But I was able to gain enough muscular strength to drive a car again. 
a whole year of Joanna being my chauffeur. That was a sanctification test for both of us. <laughs> she doesn't like to drive. I don't like to be driven, especially the day that we're at a, green, uh, we're at a red light in Salem, Oregon, in our Dodge Green Caravan, and, and not... And, and, and I'm, I'm sitting there with my arm out the window on a summer day in the passenger side, and this big truck pulls up next to us. Uh, huge tires, testosterone pouring out the tailpipes. You know what I'm talking about. Kaboom, boom, 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 boom. And Oakland Raiders bumper sticker on the back. You got some of those trucks in Indiana, too. I've seen them. And this, this guy pulls up to me and looks down at me in the, in the passenger seat, and he says to me, Dude, you're in the wrong seat, man. Get over there where you belong. I was like, ah. Oh. You're killing me, you redneck. It's like, Ugh. But after a whole year, after a whole year, I got to be back in the driver's seat. It was a relief for both of us. And our son was graduating from college in Minnesota, and so we decided to take a road trip to go see him graduate from college. And so we packed nine cases, uh, about 200 cans, of the medical food in the back of the car so I had something to live on uh, during this road trip because we were going to go from Oregon to Minnesota by way of Tennessee and make a real road trip out of this. That was a geography test. You just passed. Good job. We go from, go from Oregon to Minnesota by way of Tennessee and, and visit family and friends and, and just kind of have uh, some... I'd been sequestered for so long in that living room, I just needed to breathe different air, and so off we went. Um, got to Denver, Colorado, and Colorado Springs, and met with some friends, and sat with them while they ate their meals and their desserts, and just... Um, a waiter would ask, Wouldn't, would you like some water at least? Well... Not really. <laughs> Nothing I can do with this. I pour it over my head, and I'm not going to pour it into my tube in front of you. So, so you know, I got to Hayes, Nebraska, nothing to report there. And got, or, excuse me, Hayes, Kansas, nothing to report there. Got on to St. Louis, Missouri, and my feeding tube stuck. The sole source of hydration, medication, nutrition, the only way anything gets in my body, stopped working. We tried to force it. Was as strong as my wife. She's a strong lady, and, and couldn't uh, couldn't force it. Tried to pour Pepsi in there to dissolve anything. Uh, tried to drill down with some wire, and then nothing would work. We could not get this thing to work. I'm oh great. I'm half a nation away from my doctors, and the only way I get anything into my body is 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 broken. What do we do now? Stood in the parking lot. Um, prayed the weakest prayer we'd ever prayed. Really? It's <laughs> pretty much it. Got in the car and I'm driving down the road. Why don't you go to a doctor? Because I didn't know what doctor to go to. I didn't know what to do and I just needed some time to pray and think and figure it out. And Looked over and there's Joanna, like Hannah in the Old Testament, crying silently, tears coming down her face while she's praying to the Lord with all her hearts. As we drove, there's more to the story you can read about if you like, but as we drove, as she reaches over and she touches me as she has many times in the last year and a half. I'm now 18 months into the story, not a bite of food, not a drop of water. And she touches me as she has many times before. And at that moment, as she prayed in the name of Jesus, I felt a movement, a twitch, a twinge of firing something. It wasn't lightning bolt. It wasn't, wow. You know, it was just, it was just, it was very subtle, but it was real. It was undeniable. And I was like, what is happening? Could it be? Could it be that on the day that my feeding tube is stuck, on the day that we're most desperate in this situation, could it be that today God would heal me? And did something in that moment, the doctor's like, no, you idiot, not liquids. <laughs> See, if your epiglottis, excuse me, if your esophagus is closed, your windpipe is open, and you pour liquids into your body and go straight into your lungs, if you're trying to swallow something after not being able to swallow, you try things like mashed potatoes that you can easily cough up and spit out. But I took this sip of orange juice, and for the first time in a year and a half, I felt it go all the way down, and a little burp came all the way back up. Life was returning to the system. 
list and we pulled over to Casey's gas station. I don't know if I'm controlling this or if you're controlling this, but we pulled over to Casey's gas station and I have not, uh, that, that big red there, that cup, is my spit cup. Uh, I found it was safer to spit into a cup than into rags or towels as I drove. And uh, you want to be kind of careful when you rode with us in the car. Joanna's Diet Coke in one cup holder, my spit cup in the other cup holder. You don't want to mix up those cups, right? So uh, anyway, gross, but life. We held together, held each other in the parking lot of the Casey's in Illinois. And we prayed, greater is he that is in me than the disease that attacks me and threw away the spit cup as an act of faith. Now Joanna's driving, I'm in the passenger seat, and uh, I have four ounces of Yoplait red raspberry yogurt. And now these muscles have atrophied, they, you know they have not worked for a year and a half, but I am able to eat four ounces of Yoplait yogurt. I can see plastic at the bottom of this thing. I've not eaten since the Bush administration. I can now see plastic at the bottom of this cup. and. So we pulled over to a restaurant, and as you can see, we had a guy take a picture of us. Didn't even tell him why. We were so excited, we just, you know, captured the moment. Next up, Wendy's. <laughs> Bought the biggest Frosty that they'd sell me. Finished the night off with a bowl of chili. Go big or go home, right? Woke up the next morning without a single spit rag, spit towel, spit anything. I had slept through the night for the first time in a year and a half, swallowing my own saliva. Thank you, Jesus. And with that, I began to regain weight. News got back to Salem, Oregon, to the ear, nose, throat, the hose up the nose guy, you know? And who gave him permission to eat? That's what he said. And the, and the fifth swallow therapist that I had working with me, they made, a, they made an appointment for me. I had within 20, 48 hours of being back in Salem, I was supposed to be in their office because they knew I was going to kill myself doing this kind of thing, sucking Frosties into my lungs. Now, what are you doing? <laughs> we got over here to Indiana. I've got a sister who lives in Huntington, and she's the baker of some of the finest cheesecakes on the planet. And, and so, you know, she was so excited to be able to cook for me first time in a year and a half, made me these cheesecakes. I hadn't gained a single pound on the medical food, but cheesecakes, my body understood real well, okay? <laughs> and, and by the time we got back to Oregon 15 days later, I had gained 15 pounds. And, and I walked... <laughs> <laughs> so both the medical professionals are there, my swallow therapist, the ear, nose, throat doctor, and I walk in their office, and I see their mouths are open. They're going to give me this big, you're going to kill yourself lecture, and they see me, and I've got energy, I've got weight, I've got vitality to me, and so I tell the story very briefly that I just told you, and I just watch them go, oh, dad nothing to say and the one who was not a, and of course i gave credit to jesus and uh, the one who's not a follower of christ quickly exited the room quite awkwardly and the one who is a follower of christ said to me john if there was a medical miracle waiting for you at harvard or mayo we would have sent you there but there was nothing for medicine to do this can only be attributed to god well i knew that already but it was fun to hear a doctor saying Interesting. God did not heal everything at that moment. There's still issues that I deal with years later uh, that I have going on in my body, and I still get that crazy plasma stuff. Grateful for it, but whatever is trying to attack my muscles is still present. But because of that healing of that swallow that had been completely given up on. That See, medicine can do something about my physical stuff. They had nothing they could do about my swallow. And that's the thing God chose to touch. I don't get it all. I don't understand it all, but I have concluded this. You have a part in your own healing journey. You need to step up. I would not be standing before you today if I had not gotten involved with those physical therapists, okay? You have a part in your own healing journey. But... We also need to receive help from others. There are some things that others can do for us. We have to humble ourselves and receive that help from others. I couldn't do it all myself. I had to receive help from others. But all of that together is still not enough for some of life's situations. There are some things that only God can do. 
But, well, but he is the one that decides where the source of help is going to come from. Do we need to lean in and learn a little discipline and, 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 and do something about this journey ourselves? Do we need to humble ourselves and say, I just need to accept help, that uh, I, I'm going to need people to help me in this situation? Or is this a moment that God wants to step in and just touch? Boom, it's done. I don't know what story he's writing in your life, but I know this. He's not done writing a good story. Amen? You might not like the current chapter you're in, but it's not the last chapter. Our God is always at work on behalf of his children. His silence is not his absence. He is always present. Sometimes he withdraws a bit it feels like, it's not, not, doesn't really, but he withdraws his, how we feel or how much we hear from him. And here's my last point, okay, as I wrap this up. I've taken lots of time today. What takes more faith? To trust God for a miracle or to hang on to God when no miracle is happening? Both faiths are required in the Christian journey. Sometimes we're able to trust him and wow, he just, God, thank you for delivering. Thank you for providing. Thank you for rescuing. And sometimes that journey is more, I'm going to walk with you in it. Here's the description. Sometimes we're in cruise control faith, flying down the road. He's answering prayer. Everything's good. And sometimes we're in four-wheel drive, off-road faith. We're not going to do 65 on this next stretch of the stretch of the trail. We're going to do 0.5. But you're going to keep moving forward as you find a four-wheel drive Jeep faith. Trusting God even when life gets really confusing. Worship team is going to come back up at this time and lead us in a closing song that says, please come team, that says, it is well. It is well with my soul. Sometimes that's a statement of like how we feel at the moment, that Lord, it is, thank you, thank you, thank you, it is well, I just sense your, your depth of your goodness. And sometimes it is a faith statement, right? Lord, it is, I believe it is well, even though I don't feel it right now. So friends, you've been a very gracious audience. Thank you for receiving this message and know that God is not done writing a good story in your life.